We're going to be clapping throughout eternity, people. This is just rehearsal down here. One day we'll see Jesus face to face, that one who hung upon the cross, who was robed in our sin, so that we could be robed in his righteousness. Amen. Glory to Christ. Glory to Christ. My name is Randy Fields. For those who might be visiting, I'm the site pastor here at Deer Park, and it's so good to see you this morning. And we're going to be pe- preaching through the Kingdom of God series, the parables of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. So you can go ahead and turn that there now, if you will. Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. The wedding banquet parable that Jesus told so long ago. And while you're turning in your hard copy of the Scriptures, I have some family history to share with you. My wonderful wife, Leah, and I have been blessed with Randall, who's 10, and Alexis, who's 8 years old. We treasure our children. They're such a gift from the Lord. And our 8-year-old Alexis, she's something else. She'll often say to me, Daddy, Daddy, tell us a story about when you were a little boy. And so, and she wants to know the teenager stories too, but I try not to go there. Daddy, tell us a story about when you were a little boy. And you know, sometimes those stories, they're actually reruns. But when I start telling her that story, she just locks in. Alexis loves to hear stories. Well, you know, Alexis, she's not the only one. Most people love to hear a story. God has kind of wired us that way, to enjoy stories, to retain them, and actually learn from them. And you know, Jesus himself, he was a master storyteller, a sharer of parables, And uh, he was skilled at taking the eternal lofty truths of God and explaining them in such a way that a child could understand. And he often did that through stories or parables. It was his intention. The master teacher used parables. And so with that in mind, let's look at one of Jesus' parables this morning, the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Let's read that together. Verse 1, the Word of God says... And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, the oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. And went off, one to his farm, other to his business, while the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads, and they gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Pray with me, if you will. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word. It is a light unto our lives. Your truth sets us free on multiple levels. Your word is alive. 
as you are. We pray that you take your living word, Lord, and plant it deep in our hearts this morning. Jesus, thank you that in your wisdom, you, could, you explain the lofty truths of God in such a way that a child, even a child, could understand. But be that as it may, this morning we need your Holy Spirit's help to open our eyes right now, to see you as you really are, to see us where we need to change, to see your truth. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Though you make it simple, Jesus, we need your help, Holy Spirit, to soften the hard places in our hearts this morning. Help, Lord. Work in our souls through your word, through your spirit, as we look into the scriptures this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Lord loved to tell parables. He communicated with them everywhere. And as we look at the parable of the wedding feast this morning, what does Jesus want to communicate to you and I? What does he want us to see? And as we look at this parable, I'm going to make just a couple observations and then a few applications to this, to this parable. But one, one truth that's very obvious to see here is that God relentlessly pursues people. God relentlessly pursues people. Is our God not amazing or what? He is, he, his love, his heart is mind-boggling if, if we stop to think. But in verse 3, he sent messengers to call those who were invited and they refused to come. And again in verse 4, he sent other servants saying to them that everything has been prepared, the calves have been slaughtered, come to the feast, and they pay no attention. And they get busy with this or that, and they even kill his messengers. And after punishing those murderers, what does God do? He does not give up, he is undeterred, unwavering, and again, he pursues his people. He sends out other servants and he says, Go therefore to the main roads and invite the good, the bad, and the ugly. Anyone you can find, bring, invite them in, bring them in. He relentlessly, God relentlessly pursues people. Can you see God's heart here? Can we see God's beautiful heart here? And aren't you glad that God pursues you this morning? Aren't you glad that he didn't give up on you during that first, second, or 100th rejection? Aren't you glad God pursue, has pursued you and is pursuing you right now? You know that, what that ought to do? That ought to give us grateful hearts this morning. Overflowing with gratitude that God pursues us like he does. That's one observation. God relentlessly pursues people. And here's another one that's, that's unfortunate. Man consistently resists God. Man consistently re resists the Lord. Look there at the, here at the parable. He gives them the first invitation, and it says that they would not come. It doesn't say they could not come. They would not come. They chose to reject him. Gracious, kind king, creator God, after this slap in the face, sends another invitation. Everything's ready. We slaughtered the calves. Come, please come. And they paid no attention. They went off to the farm. They went off to their own business. They shamefully treated his messengers, and they killed some of them. Let's take, let's take a historical look at this proverb. What is Jesus, who is he communicating to? The Pharisees the leaders of the Jews. 
And he's rehearsing, and actually what he's doing in this parable, he is rehearsing to them their Old Testament history of rejection of God. And they knew it. Over and over again. And if we look in the history of the Old Testament, for example, God sent Moses in the law to show the people what he's like, and they basically rejected him. God sent judges. They worshipped idols. God sent judges. They turned away from their idols, but shortly thereafter, where'd they go? Back to the lusts and the greed and the idolatry. Then he sent major and minor prophets. Thus says the Lord, come back to me, return to me. He sends the prophets and they basically reject the prophets. And here in this context, God sends John the Baptist leading up to the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he's a little too weird for him. He eats locusts and has, he's hairy and, and he's a little strange. He's holy, but he's strange. And they reject John the Baptist. If we take a future look, God himself comes down in the form of man, Jesus Christ. He's standing right in front of them. And they crucify God the Son, reject him. He goes into heaven. He sends down the blessed Holy Spirit. And he does the apostles and signs and wonders and miracles. And they reject that too. If we take a future look. Man has the propensity to reject God. Over and over again. And you know, and before we're tempted to say those Pharisees are horrible, look how horrible they are. Let's ask ourselves this. Let's ask ourselves, how many times have we resisted God? How many times have we resisted God's loving invitation? How many times did we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and said, no, thank you. I want to be my own boss or no, thank you. How many times after accepting Christ has God prompted us to do this or that and we didn't listen to him? We all have the problem and propensity to resist God. We all do. We have to fight that every day. And that should create in us a spirit of humility. A spirit of humility. Man resists God. God pursues us. And we resist Him. A couple observations. And we can resist God or we can respond to God obediently. You know, I think most people here today, uh, it's the fact that you're sitting here worshiping shows that you want to obey God and, and respond to Him obediently. Amen? I think so. And how can we do that? What are some obedient responses to the King's invitation that we can take this morning? What are some of those? Well, the first one is this, is to put on the King's garment. To put on the king's garment. And why is this important? Well, if we look in the parable, uh, in verses 11 to 13, if you have your hard copy of the scripture, that finally people began to come. And as the wedding banquet was filled, the king came in to expect the guests, which was common in that day. And then in verse 11, the scriptures say, But when the king came in, he took a look at the guests, and he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now my goodness, does that sound harsh to you? You forgot to wear your tie and you're thrown out into a place of torment. Does that sound a little harsh? Well, it does sound harsh until we look at the historical background. Let's take a look at the historical background. In that time, the king there in the east, in the orient, he would not only prepare the feast, 
but he would also go to great lengths to provide the wedding garments for the guests. Often he would have thousands of these garments prepared way ahead of time, potentially for years, ornate, expensive, beautiful, stored away for that wonderful day when his son, the prince, finally marries. And so it was an honor to be invited to the banquet. And not in, in addition to, to that, you get to put on the king's clothing, his garment, that you can never afford yourself. And you came into the banquet, and as you came in, you were handed this robe of sorts, a royal garment. And then and only then did you enter into the banquet. And so as, when we look at the story here, to enter the banquet not wearing the gar garments that was prepared, that's unheard of. No one would do this. That would be willfully insulting the king. And that would be willfully insulting his son to come in there without the wedding garment. And he was cast out. What is Jesus communicating here? What Jesus is communicating this. The only way to enter the heavenly bank, blank, banquet is to put on the garments the king of heaven provides. To reject what the king provides has horrible consequences. The garment that God has provided is Christ himself. His righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus, is our covering. We must be clothed in Christ. Here's an application. It says in, in Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, in verse 10 here in the parable kind of confirms that. If you look in verse 10, they go out and, and Jesus tells them that he says, go gather the bad and the good and bring them in. Did you notice that he didn't say good and the bad? He said, bring, bring in uh, the bad first and the good. Was that accidental by Jesus or intentional? Intentional. Why is that? It's because he wants to communicate this. Your goodness or your badness is not what gets you into heaven. Your response to the king's invitation to accept Christ and, and that alone will get you to the banquet. It doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are. It matters, do you say, yes, Jesus, come into my life and save me. And receive the king's invitation to accept Christ. That and that alone gets us in, so to speak. Your, your clothing in Christ's forgiveness and his righteousness, that's what gets us before the king into the banquet. You know, when uh, I take it that most people in this room, possibly not all, but most people in this house, you know you're saved, you're born again, you put your trust in Christ. But you know, when you call on Jesus to be saved, two things happen. And the first is this. He takes away your sin. And we talk about that a lot. Jesus, take my sins away. Jesus, come into my heart. I put, etc. And that's true. The first thing he does is takes your sins away. But there's a second thing that he does. He also robes you in his very righteousness. When Jesus died on the cross, he was robed in your sin and my sin. He took our sins upon him when he died on the tree. But when you say yes to Jesus Christ, not only does he take your sins away, but he robes you in his righteousness. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to you, the scriptures say. Account, a place to your, towards your account. Robed in Christ. Robed in his righteousness. That is what God, through Christ Jesus, has provided for you and me. Christ's righteousness is your wedding garment. So put on Christ this morning. 
If you haven't done that yet, today, please, be robed in Christ. Ask Jesus Christ to take your sin, to change you, and to robe you in his righteousness and forgiveness. He's a prayer away. Those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on Christ today if you haven't done that. Make sure you put on Christ because, and that you're robed in his righteousness. Because if we're not robed in Christ, we're robed or clothed in something else. Namely, our sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every last one of us. And here's another way of putting it. If, if we're not robed in Christ's righteousness, then we're robed in our own rebellion. Sin is rebellion. It's saying, God, I'm going to live life my way. Not, I'm not going to do what you say. I'm going to do what I want to do with my finances, with my entertainment, with how I choose to try to get to heaven. I, I don't, it's not what I'm going to do what I want to do. That's a rebellious heart. Everybody in this room has a robe on. It's invisible to our physical eyes, but God sees it. You have a robe of righteousness that Jesus gives, or you have a robe of rebellion from your own choice to resist God. You're robed this morning. Put on Christ. Put on Christ. Some people will say this, but I'm a good person. What do you mean? I, I, I go to church. I'm, I give to charity. I'm a good person. It's good to do good, but we must remember this. That God says in the book of Isaiah, man's righteousness is as dirty, filthy rags before a holy God. The best of the best of the best, the most moral, without Christ's righteousness, it's dirty, filthy rags. It's easy when we compare ourselves with ourselves to, to, uh, to think we're pretty good. But when we stand before God one day, we're not going to be comparing ourselves to our neighbors. We will compare ourselves with a holy, eternal God. And though our good works look good, maybe look good to our neighbor, before a holy, righteous, eternal God, our good works amount to nothing. So be robed in Christ this morning. Make sure you're robed in Christ. Because although his love for you never ends, the second chances to receive Christ will someday end. It's a no-brainer. It's appointed for man to die once, and after this comes the judgment. Hebrews 9.27. How can we apply this, this parable to our lives? Be robed in Christ. Put on the king's garment if you haven't done it yet. No matter how old or young you are, make sure you're robed in Christ. Amen? A second response is this. Not only to put on the king's garment, but, but delight in the king. And what do we mean by that? Delight in the king. In other words, listen. God has pursued you relentlessly. Now we need to pursue him in like manner. God went through so much to make this relationship possible. Now may we be willing to go to whatever it takes to get close to him. Delight in the king. David, the psalmist, put it this way. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Let me ask you a question. Who or what are you thirsty for today in your soul? Who or what are you thirsty for? You know, physically speaking, have you ever been parched? I mean, so thirsty that you can... You, you, I used to wrestle, and we had to fast and run and twice a day and wrestle for hours, and you had to cut weight. And it was when you're really thirsty, what's the only thing you can think about? Getting some, something to drink. And if we're really thirsty for God, what do we spend the day thinking about? 
Him. Are we thirsty for the Lord? You know, when, when you're really thirsty, you do everything possible to get that drink. I'm going to do everything possible to get that drink. Let me ask you a question. Do we do everything possible to get close to God? Do we do everything possible to get close to God, brothers and sisters in Christ? There's, a, faith, there's a, a fruitful pastor out in the West in California. You know what he says? He says this. He says, you are as close to God as you choose to be. You know why? You are as close to God as you choose to be. Because he's always there with open arms. If there's distance between us, who moved? It wasn't him. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What are we thirsty for? What quenches your soul? What, what quenches the thirst of your soul? Is it Jesus Christ? Or are we filling our souls with other things, brothers and sisters? Are we filling our lives and our minds? Are we thirsting for Christ? That's one response. Are we pursuing Christ like he's a treasure? Like he's our first love? He's pursued us, you know, and from the very beginning, he's always wanted that relationship with you and me. That's why we're created. He longs for that. And oh, that we would long for that as well. Amen? So delight in the king. Another response is this. Submit to the king. And what do we mean by that? Have you ever heard the expression, like father, like son? Like father, like son? I have a son, Randall. I'm glad he takes after his mother, by the way. <laughs> That's a joke. You can laugh. Well, like father, like son. Well, your heavenly father who relentlessly pursues people, wants you to pursue people in like manner. I'll say that again. Your heavenly Father who relentlessly pursues people wants you and I to relentlessly pursue the lost as well. Be like Him, your daddy in heaven. Love like Him. Pursue people to enter the kingdom, the banquet, like He does. In the parable, he would not stop sending messengers. He would not stop inviting people and pursuing people. There was rejection. There was death. And God would not be deterred. And now, God desires that we have that same heart for people. We are his hands and his feet, by the way. Amen? God desires that we be like him in that. You know, I mentioned three responses to the parable. One is to put on the garment, that's to be saved. And the second one is to delight in the king, and that's to love God with all that you are. Get close to God, stay close to God, that's the second response. But let me listen to this. If we do the second response, which is truly get close to God and stay close to God, we'll automatically do the third response, which is to pursue people. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said this, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Matthew 4.19. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Another translation says, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. You'll become those who actively pursue people. And why is that? It's because when we sit at Jesus' feet and get close to him, he changes our hearts. Do you agree? When we sit at Jesus' feet and get close to Jesus Christ, He changes us on, from the inside out. We, we begin to catch His heart. You know one thing that's impossible? It's to really get close to Jesus and remain unconcerned about our neighbor's eternal welfare. 
This is an impossibility. Get really close to Jesus and not grow in love for people. Enough to reach out to them. Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. And as we look at this parable, there's one thing that's very clear. God wants people saved. He bled for it. This pain the father went through. God wants people saved. Jesus said, as the father sent me, so now send I you. And as a Christian, you're his hands, saved to reach out to others. And as a Christian, you are his voice, saved to speak his saving truth. And as a Christian, we are his ambassador, saved to make known the message of the king. Not a mute ambassador, but one that speaks the king's message. That's who we are. Are we living as who God has made us to be? How do we respond? How do we submit to the king? Will we join him in the in-gathering? We begin fishing for men and reaching for people and fulfill the great commission, which is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Jesus commanded us to do that before he ascended back into heaven. And it, it is the great commission. It's not the great suggestion, by the way. It was not a suggestion. It was a command, the great commission. And as you look at the great commission, CO, this prefix co, it means with. And you know what God has commanded us to do? He's commanded us to work with Him to reach others. We don't do it alone. You're not alone. He says, work with me to reach those around you, to reach your neighbors, to reach this world. We're to partner with Him, to labor with Him, to strategize with Him, to pursue, reach, and save people. That's an application to this parable. So how do we do that, people? Somebody said pray. He must be reading my notes. Start with prayer. Yes, pray. And, and I'll just say this. One, the, the, the first prayer might possibly be for some of us is God forgive, forgive me for not caring about my neighbors, about their eternal souls and where they're going in the future. Forgive me, God. I think we all struggle with hard-heartedness, do we not? Get distracted, get busy. God, please forgive me for, not being, for my lack of concern for the lost. There's a good place to start, to pray. Another way is to pray for opportunities to share Christ. Ask, remember, this is God's mission, it's not ours. He's just commanded us to join Him. So I think we should start with God. God, open up doors to share the gospel. Do this, please. You know, God, I don't think God wants us to be pushy, rude people, do you? I don't think we're supposed to push the gospel door open. But I believe God does call us to pray the door open. Pray the door open. It says in the book of Colossians, Colossians 4, 3, and 4, the scripture, Paul says this, he says, Pray for us that God may open up to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on a on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Pray for us that God may open up a door for the word. Paul was an amazing evangelist and, and, and apostle and church planter. And he was always asking people to pray that God would open the door. Pray it, don't push it open, pray it open. You know, in my own life, if I really 
not just to check off the box and go through the motions, but if I sincerely pray and ask God, Lord, I am tired of not sharing the gospel. Today, would you please open up a conversation to speak Jesus? God, would you do this? When I sincerely pray that, do you know what happens that day? He does it. It happens with some of the most unexpected people. I mean, some of the hardest people. And how does that happen? Why does that happen? It's because God, God does it. It's a God thing. Pray. Don't push the door open. Pray the gospel door open. And mean it. You know, and if we pray sincerely, Jesus will help us. He wants it done worse than we do. He loves them more than we do. We're trying to follow his commands. The Holy Spirit will lead us if we pray sincerely. Amen? So pray the door open. Pray. Pray the door open. And in the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul also prayed this. He said, he prayed for us as, us as well that we may boldly speak the gospel as we should. That utterance may be given to my mouth that, that I may make known the message boldly as I should. We could pray for boldness. God wants to open the door to share, the circumstance to share Christ. Pray for that. And not only does he want to open up the circumstance, God wants to open up our mouths. Ask God for boldness. Not rudeness, humble boldness. Speak through me, Lord. Open up the circumstance. Open up this mouth to share the treasure of Christ with those in darkness. Amen? Pray the door open. I had the privilege of meeting a brother who was a church planter and on the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan in Taliban area. And they make disciples. They sit on the floor, two or three men, and they, they have a meal and they quietly read the Bible together and pray for each other. And then they, and when they get to four people, they divide up again, there's two or three guys, this is in Taliban area, and they pray for each other, etc. And they have a bracelet, and on the bracelet is the acronym P-U-S-H, PUSH, and it stands for this. They don't have all these elaborate uh, plans for evangelism and strategies, it's P-U-S-H, pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. And when they're talking to people, they got their, their spiritual antenna up and they're being led of the Holy Spirit. Do I share with this person? Okay. They're sensitive to the Lord and they don't share with this person? They're not, no. They're sensitive. They're walking in step with the Holy Spirit. I wonder if God wants all of us to do that. Walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Be led of the Holy Spirit. Pray the door open. Pray. It's important that we do this. <clears throat> I kind of alluded to this. I'll mention it real quick. In Colossians 4.2, the Bible says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert. Alert. Do you know one thing prayer does? It produces spiritual alertness in the obedient praying believer. And when we don't pray, we have spiritual dullness. We can't sense the Lord's leading. We don't even see ourselves correctly. But as we pray, it creates spiritual alertness. And it, 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 it tends to put our spiritual antenna up so that we can sense God's leading in conversations that can lead to a witness. Amen? So pray. In addition to praying, we, sh we should also position ourselves. Position yourself to potentially share. You know, the Bible does say, make wise use of your time for the days are evil. When it comes to reaching for people, we need to position ourselves. And here's one way to do it. It's with our social interactions. 
Now, if I step on some toes, I'm sorry. I'm going to ask for forgiveness ahead of time. But I'm going to vent. But with our social, Jesus Christ ought to be Lord of our social interactions. Do you agree? And I'll just say this. Listen, be in our interactions as we go out and about, be kind, be friendly, speak blessing to people. Amen? Speak with your countenance, words of life. As you go out and about, speak kindness. Now listen, if you, if, if you happen to be an introvert, listen, for the sake of the gospel, venture out of your comfort zone, be strong and courageous, and speak kindness to people. Listen to them. Engage them. And see what doors the Spirit may open to share Christ with them. You don't have to be someone you're not. No. Speak life. Reach. If we never talk to lost people how, and never allow our, ourselves to spend time with them, how can we share Christ with them? Remember, Jesus was the friend of sinners. And let me ask you this. If, how can you fish for men if you never go to the water? To fish from the couch is silly. Or from the church pew. We're not going to get many. We can pray for fish all day long. But if you never go to the water, maybe, what's God think of that prayer? Positioning often requires intentionality and planning. And, and intentionality, positioning in your social interactions, but also in your activities. You know, Because sometimes if you don't schedule something in, it gets squeezed out, doesn't it, in life? The most important thing sometimes. Positioning. I plan to position my family on the third Saturday of the month at Coastal Yorktown campus for the food distribution ministry. You know about that? You can raise your hand if you know about that. If you don't, you can learn about that. You're about to learn about that. We're going to go out there. We've done it before. We're going to do it again. We're going to go out there and push those grocery carts for those people. Hundreds of people come on Saturday, a third Saturday, and they get tons of food. And we're going to push that grocery cart and chit-chat with them. How are you doing? Where are you from? So good to see you today. This is, isn't this a great ministry they got here? And, and, and then after loading their groceries in the car in the parking lot, we're going to ask them this. How can we pray for you? How can we ask God to bless you and your family or pray for any situation that you might have? How can we pray for you? And, you know, you know, and then listen to them. And right there, pray for them. You know, the last time we did this, Randall and myself, we got to, take, we got to pray for seven or eight groups of people. And not one individual re, uh, denied prayer or refused prayer. All of them wanted to be prayed for. And so we would, and uh, you don't have to do this, but this is my style or flavor. We join hands. We get in a circle, and we pray. You can bring hand sanitizer if you need to. But you, you get in a circle, and we pray for whatever. We listen to them. You pray with them. And after praying with some of them, they started hugging our necks. And we got to share the gospel with people naturally because we positioned ourselves. There's an opportunity for you as well. Come push grocery carts on the third Saturday. It's a good thing. My wife, Leah, thank God for her, she is a wonderful grocery shopper. Raise your hand if you're a grocery shopper. She can find those sales, boy. She saves me some money. She's good. And she goes to multiple grocery stores, but when she goes to this one store, she positions herself in one line. Whether it's three or four people ahead of her or 15, she goes right to that cash register. Do you know why she positions herself there? Because there's a Muslim lady that works there, and she's building a friendship with her. And when she pays for her groceries, she goes, hello, uh, 
Assalamu alaikum, how are you? And she smiles. She goes, how, it's so good to see you again. I prayed for your children like you asked me to last week. And I asked Jesus to bless your kids. Are they healthy now? Oh, well, yeah, they're okay, this, that, and the other. And you know what she's doing? She's fishing for men. She's positioning herself at the grocery store for a kingdom moment. To build the kingdom of Christ at Kroger, at wherever it might be. Position yourself. ESOL. Every Thursday night under this roof, there are close to 150 different people from 20 different nations here to learn English. And God is putting the nations under our noses, people. Does the Lord want us to, does he want to save every tongue, tribe, and nation? That's what he bled for. Might there be a positioning opportunity to hear? Come on out on Thursday night. Brother Caleb said we need a lot of volunteers. We got over a thousand people at Coastal. A few volunteers would be nice on Thursday night. And possibly come on out and, and during their snack time, sit at the table with them. They don't bite. They bite the snacks, but they're not going to bite you. And you sit there and you say, hello, how are you? What is your name? Oh, my name's Osama. Or how many, I, I have three children. Do you have family? Well, yes, I do. We are so glad you're here in our country. God bless you. We're so glad. And be a friend to them. And, and I know some people, they say, can I pray for you? And my wife, if they say yes, she'll pray for them right there in the, in the fellowship hall. And that's reaching. And that's positioning. You may come and, and get to know some of them and build a relationship with them. Maybe possibly invite them over for dinner. Meet them at Deer Park Park and have a cookout. Position yourself. we got to go to the water if we're going to catch the fish. ESOL ministry. And you know, and I'm just going to mention one other, one other opportunity. Because it's in the Bible. You know, it says in, when it says in the scriptures, it says be hospitable without grumbling and complaining. Do you know hospitality is from God? It's in the New Testament. And in our Western culture, we've seemed to have lost that. We're so private, and some of that's good, but some of it's not. Do you know your dinner table is a tool and instrument for evangelism and discipleship? And it doesn't have to be just an ESOL student. It can be your neighbor, a colleague, a friend. Say, can you come on over for dinner? Or let's have a cookout. And you spend time with them because you, you want to reach for them so that there may be a gospel-sharing opportunity. We need to position ourselves. Amen? You know, um, praying, positioning, and also participation and uh, giving. You know, with the one mission, giving to Gloucester to help build a permanent location from which the gospel can go for, for decades from the, gospel, from the Gloucester location is another way. We use all that we have to reach for people. To reach for people. This is an obedient response our Heavenly Father with the parable that Jesus gave to us 2,000 years ago. The eternal banquet is coming and Christian, you will be there. And here's my question. How many others will make it to the banquet because you, because you reached out to them? That's my question. How many people will make it to heaven through you and through me? When you stand before Christ, may you, I pray that you do not stand alone. But may people flank you to the left and to the right. People who made it to the banquet because you joined God and reached out to them.
Please do not go to heaven alone. Take others with you. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you that you pursued us relentlessly. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the same heart. Soften our hearts, Lord. Lord, we pray that you give us soft hearts and active hands that reach for people that you bled for, Jesus. May we be the ones that you reach through. Use us this way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we've been ending each Lord's Day, we uh, are moving toward the table, and uh, we have been